Hi, this is Celeste uh, from Me After Work and we're recording our second podcast and our podcast is You Don't Know What You Don't Know Until You Know and we have Chris Bates, a welfare co- a wealth coach and mortgage broker from wealthful.com.au. Um, welcome, Chris. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, a bit of, bit of background on Chris. He was an investment banker, worked in the UK uh, through the GFC, an interesting time that would have been. Uh, went into financial planning and then four years ago started his own business, Wealthful. Um, and yeah, he's now a, pro- a wealth coach and mortgage broker. So we'll just get straight into it. In, I was reading through your website, you said that um, you're blessed to be able to live a life of purpose. What does that mean exactly? <laughs> Good to see you've done your research. Um, I mean, I guess I, it hasn't always been this way, and that's just to be frank. I guess for me, it's I see real value in what I do, and I see real, I get real enjoyment and a real kick and like satisfaction out of um, and energized and from what I do, and when I help people and meet people. And then I guess I've come to terms that with that being what I'm actually meant to be doing and not, I feel like there should be something else. And how does that compare to where you work? Uh, compared to where I work or work, was? Were, sorry. Were, yeah, okay. Um, I guess I had to constant battle and frustration with the industry and the environment that I was working in, like other people's businesses, but also just the, generally the financial world because I wasn't really connected to it i guess i didn't really look at it like everyone else did in the industry and i guess i had to kind of come to terms with it and say well actually no do i am i actually in the right place or not okay when did this because our podcast is you don't know what you don't know until you know was this a pivotal moment in your career yes so i was on two levels like one i was kind of like i'm on these train tracks going this way but i kind of feel like i'm on the wrong train and i need to get off and do something completely different and so that was probably about four years in i was very close i was like right this is it i'm out i'm over it i can't be what were you doing at that like four years in the first four years in advice i worked in uh, like retail banks which is kind of high street banks basically in the uk and also independent over there as well and kind of every door i opened i would see things that i didn't want to see and i would like I love meeting with clients. I love hearing their story, what they like to do and, you know, everything. Basically, I'm quite just naturally curious about people. And, but then I would kind of, once they've left, I'll be hit with this world of what, what it really is about selling products. Okay. So I thought that that's not really the life that I really want. I don't really. And I thought, well, what am I actually passionate about? Animals. Why don't I become, move to Africa and become a tour guide? And I was very, very close to doing that. But I decided to come back to Australia instead. Okay. Starting yeah. Starting doll moment. Yeah, it was actually, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, what, what, okay, so you were, you liked the people bit and then you were, had to go back to your desk and sell the products. Where was the, the conflict in that? Like the products versus the people? Like what actually made you go, okay, something doesn't feel right here for me? Um, I'm just naturally... Uh, 
if something's not the right thing for someone, I can't go, you know basically go recommend it. So I'd be very focused on always trying to figure out the right thing. And you know when you're in this industry that's built around selling, that you know that there's this always conflict. So if someone doesn't need something, then you should be able to tell that to someone and not recommend something. But in the financial advice world, is is it's all about actually just recommending something. How? What's the percentage of times do you think that happens that someone is recommended a product that is not right for them? Um, like I think we, right. I think the way that the industry is moving, it's happening less and less and less, just due to regulation and due to vertical alignment of basically sales forces for institutions uh, are basically getting removed all over the world. Um, and a lot of the younger advisors don't see themselves as product sellers. They see themselves more as coaches and more as um, helping people on a lot more things than just products. Okay. So I think it's happening less and less every day, um, and that's a good thing. So it's it's finally getting there, I guess. So we got you to speak at me after work our um, two-day weekend, and um, everyone was expecting a real finance-style talk. But you didn't speak once really about money. You spoke about wealth, but in a very different way. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I guess one of my frustration is in life is that, you know, people see wealth as purely money and it's the wealth management industry, your net worth, your net wealth. Um, you know, it's not really seen in actually something that you value in life. And so we don't put a value, like even a dollar figure, and we don't appreciate the things that uh, haven't got a financial value to them so i guess in life i think it's completely the wrong way of looking at things we should be valuing the things that don't cost money and they're the things like your health and your relationships and your freedom and your you know smiling and laughing and having fun and travel and all these things but we don't put a value on those um so i think we actually especially in australia we're actually extremely wealthy and without even having anything in the bank account and so I think we come from a point of scarcity, especially when we're living in a country of abundance of money. Um, we are the richest country in the world, really, per capita. And we are, everywhere we look, we see from cars to houses to boats, etc. Um, but then we will never feel wealthy because we're comparing ourselves to this world. But really, you know, we're in the 0.1% of the world of the most wealthy people in the world. So, you know, we, I don't know, it's kind of comes from this whole perspective of changing your level of what wealth means and to actually go well actually i'm wealthy today and yes money is important but it's i'm already wealthy how easy is it to change that especially when you you know how we all grow up you you think about buying a house you think about your career you think about setting yourself up for the future that's a massive change as far as behavior and thinking where do people go with that? Yeah, I think, so I've got a very uh, different view on things, mainly because, you know, I've been an advisor for 10 years and I've seen people at all different levels of the curve. So I've seen people from the, you know, the 18-year-old who is, you know, getting his first or his or first, first job all the way through the 92-year-old that's dying and then the wife didn't know that the husband had all this money and, you know, or the person with $80 million and, you know, I've seen it on all different levels and, you know, and I've, I just don't think it really matters that much. I don't think the, mm. the money is really the, the mean and I, is the end game. 
And I think that if a lot of the people with the money, I think we shouldn't prioritize money as our goals. We should be prioritizing well-being and aiming to be, I guess, as wealthy in all areas of our life as possible. And knowing that money is part of that because it gives you the ability to do things like follow your purpose, follow your passions. You know, you do need money to be able to survive and then, you know, once you've got it, it then allows you to open doors. So it's not that it doesn't matter, but I just don't think the money matters as much as people think. And so we prioritize it way too much. We take that job that we, you know, I always think it's crazy that, you know, we, you know we're doing a job that you don't really love and then you get offered a pay rise and then you get paid more money to do a job that you don't love. And then if a job that you did love was paying you 50 grand less, you wouldn't take it because you don't want to take a pay cut. And then it's a case of, well, now you're not taking a pay cut because it's the social pressure of earning the money that you were on. And, you know, and that's, so I think it's, you know, things like that I think are crazy. You should just take the job that you really want to do. How often do you see that people in jobs that they don't like? Um, I think there's a difference. There's people who like who like, hate their jobs. It's, you know, there's people who like them, are happy with it, and then there's people who really love it. Um, yeah, I think it's most people are in they either hate it or they like it. Um, they're okay with it, but even if they like it, they're never going to be happy with the money because they don't love it, and they're not. And so they're really just doing it for the money. And if you're just doing it for the money, then unless the money's going up every year you start to kind of become a bit resentful, mm. you know, because you basically build a life based on that salary and then, you know, unless that money goes up, there's no motivation. And so you end up just becoming, yeah, kind of stuck in a job that earning. Stale, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the last four years since you started your business, how have you changed? Oh, dramatically. I, I just see it as a bit of a learning process and I think that, Life's a journey and that we, you know, are going to constantly change. Um, so I, I've always been addicted to change. So, uh, yeah, I lived in 23 houses in my 20s, like in all different cities and different, um, and I, I've always had itchy feet. And so, yeah, I guess I'm a bit more stable now. I'm a bit more kind of than I was, I guess, in, but I'm still very naturally addicted to change. So I'll, you know, change again in the next six months and, yeah, I think I've definitely become more, I guess, aligned to what I really want in life. And I guess I've, without being a bit fearful about going and getting it, I guess I just like, well, no, this is what I really want and I'm going to go do it my way rather than society's way. So that's probably how I've changed the most. That's yeah, great. yeah. That's super inspiring. Um, what is your way? I think I just don't want to get to the end and going, oh, I should have done this or or I should have not kind of conformed, I guess, to the system. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather know that I didn't, but I just, you know, if I love animals and I really want to spend time with animals and I shouldn't just, like that's what I do, yeah. I shouldn't just go and go, well, it would have been nice to have done that. So, you know, now it's like, no, actually, I'm going to do that every year. I'm actually going to go and spend time. And then in later life, then we will go live in Africa or whatever it is. Like, you know, if that's what I'm aiming for, there's no reason why I shouldn't aim for that. And yeah. so I think it's probably just kind of just getting focused on what I really want and then just going for that. And if that's not conventional ways of looking at things, 
then that's fine. How did you overcome the fear? Because that's, mm. that's a tough one. People have a lot of fears. Like it keeps us back from doing so many things. Our fear. Like what's some tips? Yeah, I think if, for example... The and what was the fear actually? We should... There's a fear of yeah. failure always, right? There's a fear of mm. we can always try to... Uh, we could attempt something or we could do something and then we could fail. I don't think, I think that's just natural, right? If you're going to ever do something that's different. But it, the fear of failure, it shouldn't really be... The fear of not doing something it should be bigger than the fear of the failure because like, that's just going to end up in regret in the future. So I think, I guess the fear I've kind of come is that... I guess I've come very close to the fear of not doing what I wanted to do and not doing the things that I wanted to do in life for the fear of the failure. So I'm more scared of getting to when I'm 16 saying, why didn't I try that? That's an actual common trait of billionaires, the fear of not doing something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. well, yeah, I'm definitely not a billionaire. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's probably it, yeah, to be honest, yeah. I guess I probably... Yeah, I don't want to look back on things and going, oh, I should have really done that. And I do look back on things a little bit when I was, say, six years ago when I thought about going to become a tour guide. I should have just done it. And I didn't because I had a fear of I had to get back to Australia, had to start, you know, my Australian advice journey. I wanted to start a business when I'm a bit, like, in my early 30s. And, you know, and I kind of gave myself a little talking to when I was just about to transfer this money to book this trip. And I could have done it, and I didn't. Do you think we overthink time a bit, thinking that we're going to run out of time? Oh, yeah, Is definitely. That, yeah. yeah, that's... Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> I think that's all a bit... Yeah. And it's fair It's fair enough to... I think we should have this urgency in our life. Like, we shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, let's just cruise. Let's just... We'll do that all when we're older. And I think that's just crazy. Um, but, yeah, I think we realise that compounding right so we, we we want things tomorrow but they're not going to happen tomorrow it's what we do today and we keep doing it and then in a in a year or two time it'll it'll happen but what are you compounding today for i just love learning i guess i really realized that is something i like to do and the big thing that's helping me to do that is actually just to get my thoughts out so i guess i'm just trying to compound my knowledge so I'm constantly sound checking what I'm thinking and trying to articulate that into something. And so then I'll do that via a post. And that's just allowing me, every time I write a post, I have to make a call on something. What do I believe? Because if I don't believe it, it's not authentic to me. And secondly, I've got to, it's out there now. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I'm doing, I'm compounding my beliefs. Um, once I read that in five years' time or ten years' time, you'll believe half of what you believe now. Just in respect to that, in the last four years, have your beliefs changed since you yeah. started? Um, not around a lot of the stuff I post around. Probably not. Um, but yeah, I I, I, okay I watched the TED talk, um, and it basically said that we're really bad at predicting ourselves, our own futures. And what we're going to, I can't remember who was, who the TED Talk was, but it's quite a famous one. There's millions of views of it. And um, it basically was a bit of a slap to the face and basically just said to me, look, what you think you want in the future and what you think you're going to want to do is not going to happen. You're going to want to do something completely different. And 
I was like, well, that's quite interesting because I try to help people every day think about planning for the future and I try to ask them questions about what they want to do in the future. But really, we're planning for something that's going to be completely different anyway. So how much are we in control of where we're going? Uh well, we're all on autopilot in some respects, aren't this is we? A deep question. Yeah. Um, I think we are. We're not really. No, I think we're just in a cha- like in a in a system, and we're just kind of doing our best and following the system. And the system is that you go to work, and then you get a house, and you have a kid, and, and you get the kid through education, and then you maybe save a bit of money, and then you go on a holiday, and that's the system, and that's fine. But I think that. The system will spit you out somewhere and you've got to be pretty happy with that but if that's not where you want to get that's not really you then you kind of got to be i think thinking about that and going well what how do i want the system to spit me out and i actually need to make calls on that so and how do you know what's really you anyway unless well how did you know that you I, I, yeah so, so there's some people are motivated like more dreaming and they're more like Oh, like they fantasize on where they want to go. And then some people are more, I think, more motivated from what they don't want. So through their experiences when they're kids and etc. like that. So, for example, um, what I wouldn't want is to have a job where I'm working 60 hours a week and have no flexibility. And if I had kids, I couldn't spend any time with the kids. So I'm motivated to not create that because I don't want that and or I wouldn't want to not be able to go on holidays because I really value that so I need to build towards be able to do that you know what I mean so I think it's yeah you can either motivate yourself from something you really just want because you know you want it or you can motivate it from what you don't want and I think it's two sides what's your you know top three tips for people who are looking to you know invest and and want to put some more time into that part of their life and, and help them with other parts, you know, to your clients, people that come to you. What's your... The first thing is that just forget about short-term wins. It's not about the return. It's not about how much money you can make. That's a byproduct. It's completely out of your control. And that's not what you're trying to do here. All you're really trying to do is, is put some money away for your future self and investing isn't a short term. Investing isn't short term. Investing is long term because anything can happen in the short term. And it's very difficult to predict where the world's going to go in the short term. Investing is not what you call speculating. So that's what you call speculating. It's not gambling. It's not betting on a horse and trying to pick the right horse. Mm. And so really, investing isn't that. Investing is basically putting money away for your future and it's putting money away for your future in 10, 20, 30, 40 years time. And so that's the first thing is to make sure you're going there with the right mindset that you're actually investing and investing is actually long-term. If you're saving, it's you could be saving for your house deposit and things like that, um, but that's also different to investing. You're actually just saving for something in the short term. Mm. I definitely think that's Fundamentally, if you're not saving every month, um, you're basically you're not getting any reward for working. I look at it like that. So you're working, your salary hits your bank account, you spend it on your rent, you spend it on your food, 
travel, going have fun with friends, etc. And if at the end of the month there's nothing left over, you basically just spent 180 hours working for nothing at the end of it. And so I think you need to question whether that's worth it, and especially if you don't like that job. Mm. So I'm doing this job that I don't like to have this life and then at the end of it, I've got nothing to show for it. I think if you are working, you've got to have some measurable outcome at the end of the month and go, yeah, I worked, I enjoyed what I do, hopefully, and then also I saved $5,000 last month. On an average wage, say, is it what, 80, 75, maybe a bit less actually? 65. Yeah, I think it's around 80 or something like that, yeah. What would be, um, you know, a decent amount of money to save on a monthly basis or a weekly basis or annually? Um, every, like, everyone's different, right? So everyone's got different needs and, you know, um, but there's certain costs, especially in somewhere like Sydney, the costs to live are pretty astronomical if you think about it compared to other places in the world, what we actually pay to get on the bus to you know Mm. go through go over the bridge to you know even just get a taxi home if you have to or whatever it is even go to the gym like a hundred dollars a month to go to the gym you know like it's we live in an expensive city so i don't think there's actually a number it's easy to but it's easier to kind of put an average on your life and say i should save 20 percent i think the only way i really do it is uh, you can break your spending down to what's the cost to live and you can't really change those because this is you have to get to work you have to put food on your table you have to pay rent there's only there's a minimum you have to pay in rent you know like just to have a, a room somewhere mm. you have to pay for electricity you have to pay for if you value your health and you value group exercise then there's probably you have to pay for Boot camps, you know, that's just the cost. I don't know how much change you get at the end of the month. Yeah, so once you've done your cost to live, it's pretty scary because that's actually usually a lot more than people think. And then you've got like your cost to have a life. And so this is the things you do to enjoy life. And then you've got like big ticket items, which could be like that trip overseas or it could be just that holiday or it could be just upgrading your car every three years, you know, a couple of thousand dollars a year or something like that. So... You know, I think break your spending into these buckets. Um, let's say you earn $5,000 a month and 3000 goes on your cost to live. Well, really, you've only got two grand left over. You then might think, well, I need $500 for my holiday every year and my car. And then I've got $1,500 left. And that's all you've got to have a life. You haven't got $5,000. You've only got $1,500 now. So your real salary in my eyes is $1,500. And so then if you go spend... That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And your salary is less your expenses. Yep. Yeah. Um, Because I think the natural... This is why monthly wages are are stupid, right? Mm. Because you get paid a monthly salary and then you think, yeah, that's right, hit your bank account and then you're like, wow, I've got $5,000. And so you... Oh, I've got, I can spend $300 on a dinner. That's not a big deal. I've got five, you know, $5,000. It's nothing. But it's not $5,000. It's $1,000. It's $1,500. That's the first thing. Is And then secondly, you've got $1,000 that you actually have to budget now over a whole month, over 30 days. And you break that down per day. And so $1,000 is only $30 a day. And so then if you go spend 
you can spend twenty two dollars on breakfast. On your yeah, exactly. Smoothie sixteen dollars. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Six. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. You've got a coffee on the way to it. That's four. And you've, you know, you may be of... By 11 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, you're at the, your budget. And so that's why your budget's gone. Because you've, you've kind of gone from, and then, so you get your first two weeks in and then the last two weeks is, well, I've got no money. And the reason you've got any money is you haven't really overspent. You've just been spending on, based on a $5,000 income, not $1,000. And that's the... Do you see people doing it well? Like uh, managing, um, you know, an average salary? And enjoying and, and feel like they're not sacrificing at the same time, but still saving. Yes, you've got to be, but you've got to be quite conscious of it. It's not a um, conscious finance. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to be like it's. And in in the past, you'd be seeing oh, that's the the frugal friend or something like that. They just there probably is always a line. I think that I I draw sometimes with clients is that's why podcasts are quite. Um, tough actually because you can't draw anyway imagine I'm drawing right now it's like a bell curve I think on the right side is um, you know overspending and then on the left side is like underspending like the frugal I'm not going to you know I'm going to have a glass of water and you know etc um, and I'm never going to the movies I'll download on the internet and blah 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 um, I think you know when you're in either one of those and I don't think either one is good. I think the frugal person is without doubt sacrificing and they're not out there enjoying life too, and they're not. And then I also think the overspending isn't as well because they're, they're risk-free spending, which will catch up with them through guilt. Oh, okay. So other things will come in. Yeah. On a Tuesday, they'll be feeling guilty because they've spent $1,000 on the weekend. They knew they couldn't afford it. So when they were spending it, it was all great, but then there's this hit. So I think you get hit with this this lag of guilt and that just accumulates in ways that become even more guilty through credit card debt and through, yeah, other irrational, irresponsive behavior and it then just cycles. What about the idea of like just throwing everything in and going living off the land? Oh, I love that idea, to be <laughs> frank. Um, and I don't think that's... Um, yeah, I, I think there's a huge trend towards that. Yeah, I mean, I've got a good friend who's in Honduras right now. She, I lived with her a few years ago, um, worked marketing at a big bank um, or HR, earned really good money, just wasn't her. And yeah, and basically met a guy, he was feeling the same. They both packed it in. They're, you know, high paying jobs, now traveled and now they're living in Honduras. She's kind of doing consulting online. He's a dive teacher earning six bucks an hour. Um, they've got no plans to come home. Like, so, I don't know. To me, I think it's good on them, you know. Yeah. I don't think it's for everyone, but I think it's, you know, you can't argue with they're going to regret that ever. Mm. So. It's like a commitment to living. Living. Yeah. Prioritizing life and living, yeah, over working and work to live or, I'm like, yeah, and that's the. It's a definitely a conundrum we have to deal it's with. It's a juggle, isn't it? Yeah. Because who, who actually has it right and what's right look like and does that exist even mm. a right way? Yeah. Versus not, yeah. Yeah, I think the whole like moving, doing something like that, it's the fear of the community that you're going to get there and you're going to be like, there's no one else like me and then I need to get back to the city. Um, that's something that I'm wrestling with as well. Like I'm trying to figure out, is that really true? Or do you actually get there and 
all of a sudden you actually do all of a sudden build a community because there's other and I think um, speaking to people who have done like sea changes and things like that I think they have at the first they've kind of like oh it's a shock and then after a year or two they start loving it I think humans are more adaptable than we realise I agree we we could be thrown into any environment which is unlike any other creature on the planet and survive yeah, I agree. I, it's and that's, yeah, I, I agree. I say some, something very similar actually. Like I say that, yeah, we. That's why when I was talking about the TED podcast before, actually, is I was like, well, if you can't really plan for the future because the future is different, why do we even stress about it? Because we're going to be okay and we're going to adapt. And so, like, even if we haven't got enough, that's fine. Like, that's okay. We'll adapt. We'll change our life. We will, and we'll still be okay. And so that fear of we're not going to be okay if we don't have this money is a bit kind of worrying about something that hasn't already happened and so you end up just having this cycle and so i'm like the worry cycle yeah Mm. it's and the other side of the coin is yeah okay you do need to do things for your future it's not ignorant to that but don't let it just be the number one thing in your life is i'm stressed about the future without really Mm knowing that when you get there, you're going to be okay anyway because you'll adapt and you'll figure it out. And That's a good way to actually end the podcast because that's what I remember you speaking about is that we'll always have enough and having that mindset and how liberating it is to have that mindset irrespective of where you are financially. Where did that come to you? I mean, I don't hear many financial people, if any, I've heard that said, well, actually, we do have enough now. When did you start thinking that way or... I grew up with pretty, yeah, you know, not, um, you know, wealthy kind of situation. And I think I probably aspired to... That motivated me to start businesses and learn and, you know, and when I was young and I kind of just did well and I made money and I, I think I kind of very quickly realised, like looked at it the other side of the coin. I started questioning it all and... Not that I really sacrificed for it, but I kind of, I don't know, I got the marginal use of money and travelled and things like that. And I just kind of didn't really connect with the money being the outcome that we were all looking to achieve to do these things. And I started questioning the the real value of money, really. And I think then I realised, I said, well, it's actually not that important. And mm-hmm. it's actually the other things that are more important. And so I kind of lost the meaning of money a little bit to like on society level. And then I realized what I'm doing and helping clients is, is that I am helping them because most people don't care about money. They, they know, you know, but in the financial advice world, you think that everyone cares about money as much as you do, but on the outside world, no one actually does care that much. So I probably actually was just more about society. I guess I just realized that you stepped out of the financial world bubble. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's probably a bit of a long-winded answer. But I think it was more a journey of looking at all the different elements to it and then just kind of, I guess, coming to my kind of view on it, I guess. (laughs) Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.